Well, if you're visiting with us this morning, we are in a series in this letter, 1 Corinthians, that the Apostle Paul has written to the church in Corinth. And there's something we need to know about the Apostle Paul himself. It's something that he wrote to the church in Galatia, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. He said, Far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The focus of Paul's life and his ministry was the cross of Christ. You know, when we first met Paul, then Saul, in Acts chapter 7, he was holding the coats of the men as they stoned Stephen to death. That was the beginning of a great persecution of the church in Jerusalem, and Paul fanned the flames of that persecution so that it would rage. We're told in Acts chapter 8, Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. In Acts chapter 9, Paul obtained written legal warrants from the high priests to travel to the city of Damascus to arrest anyone there who followed the way of the cross to bind them, drag them back to Jerusalem, and throw them into prison. Paul was in hell-bent service to the devil to crush the church of God and to erase the gospel of the cross from the face of the earth. And, And this is not some brainless thug. Paul was a highly educated Pharisee. He was a favored and authorized with legal power. And he was born a Hebrew of Hebrews and a Roman citizen. But on that road from Jerusalem to Damascus, Jesus Christ unstopped Paul's ears to hear the wisdom of God and opened Paul's eyes to see the power of God and called Paul to saving faith in Jesus Christ alone. And by the will of God, Jesus called Paul to be his apostle to the Gentiles. He would be the one who would preach the folly of the cross so that others might be saved. It was in that very moment on the Damascus Road that Jesus became the wisdom and power of God to Paul. That's true of every believer. Just like Paul, our identity is in Jesus Christ, and it's not in this world. So from that moment on, Paul was as clear as a ringing bell. Far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where we are, verses 17 to chapter 2, verse 5, that, that little area, it's, it's really a very tight literary unit. And yet, I've divided it into three sermons. So this morning, I want to read all three. I want to read all of those verses from 17 to 2, 5. Uh, you'll see how they fit very tightly together. There's a lot of overlap. They're, they're really interwoven. And we will see why we must guard against boasting in our own spirituality and boast only in Christ. Because that is exactly what Paul is telling the Christians in Corinth. Follow along as I begin reading in 1 Corinthians 1, 
Verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews, and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who were called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him... You are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech of wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. This is the Word of God. And here's this, here's this three-step progression, the reason for three sermons. In verses 18 to 25, God has chosen to save sinners through the seemingly weak and foolish message of the cross. In verses 26 to 31, our passage this morning, Paul offers up the weak and foolish Corinthians as proof that they have no basis for boasting in their salvation. And then next Sunday, we'll look at Chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, were to preach Jesus Christ crucified so that people place their faith in the power of the cross, which actually does save. That's kind of the, that's kind of the three emphases. These are the things that Paul himself knows and that the Christians in Corinth need to be brought back to because they have applied worldly values and methods to their spirituality. Remember, Corinth values personal success. And personal influence, influence that comes from a display of wisdom and an exercise of power, 
so does your culture. Same thing. So the Corinthians were applying worldly methods to display their Christian spirituality. To to appear wise, they spoke with clever words. And they identified with wise teachers. Remember, they were saying, look, I'm more spiritual than you because I follow Paul. I'm more spiritual than you because I follow Apollos. And to appear powerful, they claimed that their spiritual gifts were better than others. Look, I'm more spiritual than you because I speak in tongues. More on that when we get to chapter 12. They'll hold up other religious practices and insist that they, those practices make them more spiritual than the others in the church. And outside of the church for that matter. Dear boss, dear neighbor, dear friend, dear coworker, I know you're not a Christian, but you have to admit I'm a very spiritual person. And our culture has carved out a space for broadly spiritual people to be commended. There's reason to admire me because I'm a very spiritual person. I'm a person of influence in my church. As long as I don't blow it by talking about the folly of the cross or the weakness of Christ crucified. In Acts chapter 18, Paul had preached this gospel in Corinth and it pleased God to call sinners to salvation through the folly of Paul's preaching of the cross And Christ gathered them in unity with one another into the church of God. But it's four years later. And the church has lost much of its unity because it was losing its focus on the cross. They believed in the cross, but they were adding these other things to their spiritual identity. So the cross was getting a little fuzzy. They were losing their gospel clarity. So Paul takes them back to the time when he was with them, in verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross be emptied of its power. And it wasn't. The cross wasn't emptied of its power. The gospel was the power of God for the salvation of all of those who would believe. There is now a church in Corinth where there was not one before. So he reminds them now, in verse 18, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. All humanity is divided into two distinct groups. Those who have come to the knowledge of salvation in Jesus Christ through his work on the cross, who have placed their faith in him and in him alone, and those who have not. That's why Paul brought up Isaiah chapter 29, we looked at that last week. He brought up Isaiah chapter 29 to show that long ago, God had already destroyed human wisdom with his wisdom and thwarted human discernment with his discernment so that Paul can conclude, if we were to to overlay verses 24 and 25, Paul can conclude that Christ crucified, which you consider the folly of God, is wiser than all human wisdom. And that the cross, which you consider the weakness of God, is more powerful than all human power. Because you do not have the wisdom or power to save yourselves. But Jesus who went to the cross to be crucified in your place is the wisdom and power of God who saved you. 
If you want to follow along on the sermon outline provided, you'll see this theme. It's not a very long passage. It almost summarizes the whole passage as it ought. Few of us excel by worldly standards. And all of us fall short of God's standard. Yet in his wisdom and power, God calls the weak and foolish to salvation in Christ. So we cannot boast, but we must boast in the Lord. As you can see on the sermon outline, Paul has two main points. Two main points in this passage. We are called by God, point number one, to boast in Jesus Christ, point number two. It's that simple. Look again at verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. Paul is offering living proof that the gospel crushes human wisdom in Corinth. And the living proof is the believers in the church. I mean, when you read that, does verse 26 sound like an insult or a compliment? Are we happy about this? Or are we angry? I don't think it's meant to be either, but I do think there are two ways that we can receive this observation. See, first, Paul observes that when God called these sinners, he's looking at the church in Corinth. The way I'm looking at you, he's looking at the people in the church in Corinth. And God called these sinners to saving faith. The pagans in Corinth would not have considered them wise, influential, or of high rank. He says, not many, as opposed to not any. So a few of them were considered wise, influential, and of high rank. We know that two of the synagogue leaders were converted. It seems likely that Chloe and a few traveling business people in the church may have been affluent. So Paul's not saying that God never saves people who are considered successful in the world. Just not many in Corinth. And as Paul surveys the majority of the people in the church, he tells them, what they already know to be true. That they were pursuing success in Corinth, but they had not yet achieved it. When God, in his wisdom and power, called them. Not many of you. So why then are they so attached to the world's methods of success when they had nothing to do with God calling them to saving faith? That doesn't make any sense. Surely they should be pursuing the wisdom and the power of God, who is Christ crucified. Now that would make total sense. And that's the practical point Paul wants to drive home so that they would see their own foolishness in pursuing what is not power and influence at all. Now in the background is the second way to view this. And the second way to view that is in the background is the theological way of looking at Paul's words. Those who... Consider these, those who were humanly wise, influential, and of high rank, were just as dead in their trespasses and sins, just as condemned under the just judgment of God, and had no appeal for salvation except Jesus Christ crucified as the others, right? Because no one can come to know God by their knowledge. Back in verse 21, it is God who calls sinners to repentance in Christ. That's the call that Paul is referring to in verse 26. It's the same call that he referred to before it in verse 24. To those who are called, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. It's implied in verse 18. To those who are being saved, the cross is the power of God 
God is the one who opens the ears of sinners to hear his wisdom and respond by his power to believe in Christ crucified. Salvation is all of God and none of us. Listen to, listen to what Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And then Paul goes on to explain this wisdom of God, his effectual call of sinners, in verses 27 and 28. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Three times in two verses, Paul says that God's call is by God's choice. God chose the foolish. God chose the weak. God chose the low and despised. Why? To shame human wisdom. To shame human strength. God chooses to save even people that the world thinks are nothings and nobodies. To completely invalidate human discernment. And this isn't new. This is what Paul preached from Isaiah chapter 29. And the verses just before this. In Isaiah chapter 29 verse 16. Shall the potter be regarded as the clay? That the thing made should say of its maker, he did not make me? Or the thing formed say of him who formed it, he has no understanding? No! In that day, the deaf will hear the words of the book of wisdom. And out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind shall see. The meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord. And the poor among mankind shall exalt in the Holy One of Israel. What, what the wise and the, the discerning ones? What, what about them? What will happen to the wise and discerning ones? They will come to nothing. They will be cut off. Still, what chance do the meek have of succeeding in Corinth, unless the Lord acts. And so the Lord says in Isaiah 29, 14, I will do wonderful things with this people, with wonder upon wonder. God is going to open the book of his wisdom, which no man can access. And those whom he chooses, in verse 23, he says, they will be the work of my hands, and they will sanctify my name. They will boast in the Lord. See, God is the one who must intervene in our perishing and transform us into those who are being saved. Why? Why has he made it this way? Verse 29. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. All human boasting is nullified by the cross. All human wisdom and power is rendered void by Christ crucified. When we and the believers in the church in Corinth find ourselves in God's presence on the last day, no one will be boasting in themselves. 
it will not happen. It will not be heard. Because we have nothing, nothing, nothing in ourselves to boast in. This is what Paul, Paul writes to the church in Rome. In Romans chapter 3, 27, they ask, what becomes of our boasting? Now that we've been saved by the grace of God through faith in Christ, Paul says, it's excluded. God's wisdom proves our folly. What folly? The folly of sin. God's power proves our wisdom weakness. What weakness? Death because of our sin. If you thought that God called you to salvation because, even in the smallest degree, you reasoned your way to him thoughtfully. Or that God called you, even in the smallest degree, because you worked your way to him productively. Or if you thought, even in the smallest degree, that God was inclined to call you to salvation because of your rank or virtue or pedigree, you would boast of your salvation in God's presence. Even if you say, hey, I wouldn't boast to God's face, you would boast to others in God's presence. But there will be no such boasting in God's presence. He has chosen that it will be that way. No one will have his glory. Not in the smallest degree. So if we cannot boast in ourselves because we have no ground on which to do so, what will we boast in? Look at verse 30. And because of him, God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. It's not because of you that you are in Christ. It's because of God that you are in Christ. Or that could be translated, and, and from him, like a gift, and from him you are in Christ. God chose the weak. God chose the foolish. And praise God, he chose you. God called you to be in Christ through the foolishness of the preaching of the cross. Listen to how Paul explains this to the church in Ephesus. In Ephesus chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He, God, chose us in Him, Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He, that's God, predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, in which He has blessed us in the Beloved, who is Christ. Because of God, we are in Christ Jesus. Salvation is all His doing. We should boast in God. And look at what we have in Christ. In ourselves, 
we have folly, weakness, and no knowledge of God. But in Christ, Christ has become to us the very wisdom of God. The benefits of righteousness, sanctification, and redemption unpack the nature of that wisdom of God applied to our lives. Righteousness here, it's a, it's a legal term. It's a, it's a courtroom term. The wisdom of God in Christ grants us a right legal standing before God because we're righteous in Christ. Sanctification or holiness points to our renewed character. We have been cleansed of our sins, set apart from the world to God, that we might be the people, the family of God. And redemption is the power of the cross to purchase our souls from slavery to sin and death. In Christ, through his cross, we have this threefold wisdom of God for our salvation. We should boast in Christ. We have no legitimate reason to boast in ourselves, but every legitimate reason to boast in the Lord. So Paul tells us to do just that. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord which he quotes from the prophet Jeremiah. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 9. Jeremiah chapter 9. If you flip kind of to the middle, you're going to hit maybe, maybe Psalms to the left of center, maybe Isaiah to the right of center. Go a little further right of Isaiah and find Jeremiah chapter 9. Paul just... Paul just quotes this one phrase, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord, but this one phrase is the handle on a suitcase, right? He wants to bring forward a little bit more than just that one phrase, but it's a small suitcase. It's Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. The word boast is obviously going to be an important important word here. And, And depending on its context, this one word can be translated three different ways. It could be translated as heavy, as in, this is a weighty thing. This is a thing of dense, important substance. It's a weighty thing. The same word can be translated boast, which which you can make the connection, right? If If it's weighty, if it's important, it's something I should boast about. It's something that I should say. And depending on context, this very same word can be translated glory. Because something that is of ultimate weight and of ultimate boasting is something to glory in. In Jeremiah and in 1 Corinthians, there are three things we're prone to glory in. Did you you notice the relationship there? Wisdom, might, and riches. It's, It's the same thing Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians. And so, don't boast in those things. Do you hear yourself? When you boast in your wisdom, when you think, God sure was smart to choose me. 
Do you hear yourself when you boast in your might? When you think, even just to yourself, God sure was lucky to choose me because I get things done. He needed me to get things done for him. Do you hear in yourself when you boast in your riches? When you think God's purpose is really your comfort, your leisure time. Because Jeremiah and Paul would say, God is not impressed with you. God is not impressed with you. Our wise, mighty, rich God is not impressed by any of those things. If those things are your glory, you've fallen short of the glory of God. The good news of God not being impressed with you in those ways is that He loves you anyway. That's the good news. He chose to love you, you, even though your wisdom, your might, your riches are folly, weakness, and poverty to him. He sent his son to the cross anyway to die for you. So boast in him. God is the one who has done impressive things. He practices love justice and righteousness to you in Christ. Those three things, they parallel the righteousness, sanctification, and redemption that Paul's talking about in Corinthians. He delights, God delights to save his chosen people. Ultimately, God delights in our boasting that we understand and know him. Did you catch that? What really makes God happy? What does God genuinely, way down deep in his heart, Delight in that you would boast that you know him. That's what God delights in. So it makes total sense for him to bring that about. For him to bring about the boasting in him and not in ourselves at all. See, Paul's, Paul's targeted concern is that we would not have a puffed-up spirituality. That's what he's targeting here in 1 Corinthians. That we would privately believe in the cross. He's worried about this, that we would privately believe in the cross and, and, and yet publicly promote our own spiritual knowledge. That we would quietly believe in the cross and publicly broadcast our spiritual activity. That we would silently admit Christ crucified, but publicly admit our own spiritual blessing. Do you see how they're off target? The problem is not spiritual knowledge, spiritual participation, or spiritual growth. The problem is a heart problem that Paul's pointing to. It's a motive issue. We need transformed hearts that will boast only... In Christ Jesus our Lord. Hearts that then explain what God has done for us in Christ, the reasons why we boast in Him, and hearts that boast not at all in anything else at all. That's what Paul's going after. 
the grace of God casts down all other boasting so that we are all, all of us, on one level ground, one level footing at the cross. Before the foundation of the world, God chose to save sinners from his just wrath upon their sin through his son Jesus Christ. And he is calling sinners to himself today. Even here this morning. If you came here this morning not knowing God, not really believing in Jesus much, he is calling you to come and trust his wisdom and power to save you from your enemies of sin, death, and the devil. He's calling you to delight in his love. His love, his justice, and his holiness that are given in Christ crucified. He is calling you to have the eternal weight of his glory in salvation and to boast in him because he alone is worthy of your committed loyalty. All other spirituality is deflated. True spirituality, the only boasting that will take place in God's presence is found in the living God through Jesus Christ. Boast in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the, the apostles' words and the apostles' teaching. We want to thank you for the, the sobering reset that when we get off track in who's really the glorious one, that you remind us that it's you. Because we will do this from time to time. We will, we will inflate our own spirituality. And so, Father, we pray that you would regularly deflate our puffed-up spirituality in the things that we do. But, Lord, that, that you would build us up in true strength, strength of faith and hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the only basis for all of our boasting. This is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen.